0: This morning uh, we are great to see. Rose right to the back. uh, Off a little. Great. It's fantastic. And Vern, you're absolutely right. It's great to hear voices uh, singing together. Not sure if I want to say especially, but definitely some of those those hymns that have been around for a long time. And we've said it before. There's there's something special about knowing that we're not just singing with 45 people in the room, but with with generations of followers of. Have sung, oh how I love you! How great is our God, all these things? The last last years. We're back in a series uh, looking at five biblical keys to try and put these past 15 months behind us. Uh, we're looking at, at how we can move forward from everything the pandemic has done to us, because what's happened over the past 15, 16, creeping up on 17 months now is is so much more than a virus. So many other things have have bubbled to the surface, have added, uh, and with the added stress of the COVID pandemic, which is a real and severe added stress to all of our lives, it's really done a number on so many of our relationships and our emotional and spiritual and physical health and lives. Over the last few weeks, we have been saying that the past 15 months has been about more than a virus. It's about who we've become in and through this time as well. And that means we're going to need more than a vaccine, and we're going to need more than a loosening and ending of restrictions to put it all behind us. Well, two weeks ago, we started looking at the importance of ending our social distancing, which we said had nothing to do with just keeping six feet or two meters apart from people, but had everything to do with the, the biblical key of pouring grace on all of our relationships especially maybe the ones that seem to have, have taken a beating in these last whiles over endless things that we've just disagreed about. Things that ultimately may not even matter in a year or two or five years from now. Then last week, we looked at the importance of taking off our masks, which again has nothing to do with a piece of cloth covering our faces, but, but how we've been hiding behind the mask and how we try to Clean ourselves up a little bit before we present ourselves to other people and the world watching around us. And we looked at how the Bible would have us take off our mask and, and look at the person that we've become and, and deal with the things that we're wrestling with and struggling with and, and dealing with. Things, with. things like anxiety and depression and the emotional toil that the last 15 months has taken on us. Things like addiction, these, these things that we, we've maybe started to toy around with or experiment with or, or turn to in our emotional distress, and now they've got a hold on our hearts. We looked or talked about how we uh, need to deal with the personal crises that we've all faced over the past 15 months or that have been ramped up over the past 15 months, and as well, those, those sins that so easily in, ensnare us and drag us away from other people. And then after wrestling with, struggling with, dealing with these things, we want to seek health and healing and seek support and forgiveness that we so desperately need. Today, we come to the third biblical key of putting the last 15 months behind us, and it's this. Stop hoarding. Now again, we're not talking about stocking up on things. What we mean here is to recognize the, the, that we need to stop the, the putting ourselves above anyone and everyone else, no matter what that attitude and, and that lifestyle that, that many of us have, have given into or been tempted towards over the last 15 months. We've seen people uh, turn inward and, and kind of bend towards their, their sort of deepest base instinct of just being selfish and self of self-absorbed, adopting an attitude of, of me first, no matter the cost. And I'll, I'll own that I've been tempted in this direction, And maybe you can and and will too. And even though, as we've mentioned, we have seen many amazing examples of people and communities rallying together over the last 15 months and helping one another out. And I know you saw that, and I know many of you were a part of that. We also saw again and again, and I suspect you saw this too, many examples of people just looking out for number one. And a, a, a sense of compassion or grace for one another, just kind of going out the window and then amplify that even more as we watch it take place. I bet that we'll all remember the days of of empty toilet paper shelves in Safeway. I was recently in one of the local pharmacies and, and walked through, it was maybe about a month ago, and noted that for the first time in a year, they had Lysol wipes on the shelf that I'd noticed. I mean, I'm not there all the time, but I'd been there enough. And so what, the, what started with simply hoarding toilet paper and, and Lysol wipes and hand sanitizer for so many people turned into and devolved into a, a full-blown, self-serving, me-against-the-world mindset. Lots of ways we stopped caring about other people because we only cared about ourselves and those in our innermost circles. And it's actually got to the point where research is coming out and and articles are starting to come out suggesting uh, and talking about how we end the pandemic. But they're not talking about COVID anymore. They're talking about the pandemic of selfishness. Selfishness is being called coronavirus's sister pandemic. Again, we've increasingly seen people who only care about ourselves and our needs and our rights, darn it. Now, in one sense, I I think we understand why. When we started to watch things disappear off the shelves, and paper is important, and sanitizer, meat, some kind of core groceries, we actually do need some of those things. And so keeping ourselves, keeping our houses supplied is not the issue here. Again, the problem has come when we've let that same attitude turn into, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want. That's kind of filtered into lots of different areas in of our lives, and it's become a permanent posture for many. The problem is when we've hunkered down and assumed that, that this posture of selfishness and self-centeredness instead of a posture of sacrificial or servant-hearted living. We've been turning inward instead of outward. That's a problem, and it's really Toxic. And that's something that Jesus worked really hard to eradicate from our thinking and our attitudes and our actions. So let's look at the Bible. We're going to be in Mark's gospel first. So if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Mark uh, chapter 9, I think is where we'll first land. We'll see what Jesus has to say about serving. We're going to look at a couple different scenes, three different scenes, particularly, between Jesus and his closest followers, the 12 disciples. And these were guys that, that Jesus had specifically and primarily kind of gathered around himself to, to pour into and to train and to mentor and to have apprentice. These were guys who were hand-picked. And they were with Jesus for the bulk of his public ministry. And they were, again, being mentored and developed, and they were apprenticing and being trained and taught and being prepared to unleash Jesus' revolution on the planet through the unleashing of his church. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of these 12? I don't know if you've watched any of the Chosen series. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. One of the things I love about it is how they portray the disciples. Sometimes we come to the text and it's like, well, Jesus picked these 12. They must be really good. They must know all the answers. They must have excelled at Torah school. They must have, have understood what Jesus was saying right away and just, you know, followed and did well. And they were the top of the class. So That's why they were there. Don't read that in the Bible. And that series really portrays for us what a disaster the disciples were at times, which gives me great hope. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be part of that inner circle, walking around with Jesus, spending your days, your weeks, your months with Jesus. You're seeing him do miracles and miracles, things that should not happen. You're watching him raise the dead, You're seeing him call people to so much more than just the mundane normal life that everyone expected to kind of live and calling them into this thing he's calling the kingdom of god this long expected long-awaited kingdom and these 12 are right in the middle of all of it and what do they start to do start to jockey for one day they were walking along the road to the place where they'd be staying for the night and they started kind of whispering among themselves about who was going to be the greatest. And again, I can, having watched the church, I can see, I can guess, well, Simon's probably. here, and These brothers, they think they're pretty good, and, and Matthew's no good, so there's, there's some head clashing here. But they're whispering, they're thinking, well, how, how are we going to stack up? Who would be the best? Who would be the best known? Who would be the most successful? Who would do the most for Jesus? Who would go the farthest for him? Well, what did Jesus think about that? Here's how it's recorded for us in Mark's biography. Mark chapter 9. I'll start reading at verse 33. After they came to Capernaum, the place they were staying, and when he was in the house, he asked them, he asked the disciples, all right, boys, discussing on the way over. Verse 34. But they didn't answer. And one paraphrase, the message says, but their silence was deafening. They knew they were busted. They knew they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and take everyone else. Now the disciples, sometimes they seem to be slow learners. And I again, I appreciate that. But I wonder as well, maybe they, they weren't just slow learners. Maybe in this case, it's just an example of how much the temptation for greatness and being known and being an influencer and building your brand and all those things, how much of a temptation that really is. I mean, these guys are with They didn't get it. Either way, even at this time, Jesus called them out at this house and they obviously didn't get it because only a chapter later, they had the same discussion. Flip to chapter 10. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave or the servant of all. And then Jesus took one of his favorite Titles for himself, the Son of Man. A title that describes both Jesus' humanity and his divinity. It's a title that tells us that he was God himself in human form. And he looked at his disciples and in verse 45 said, Even the Son of Man. I am God in human form. And I did not come to be served, but to serve. I came to give my life as a Here, Familiar with the Gospels, we went through the Gospel of Mark a little while ago. Maybe you know that the disciples still didn't get it. No matter how many times Jesus directed them towards a life of selflessness, no matter how many times he, he emphasized the need for a servant heart and a servant attitude, they either didn't get it or maybe they didn't want to get it. So concerned about this. This was something that was so important to him. It was so important that they got this right, that right up until their last meal together, Jesus made it clear that he wanted them to understand. This was really one of his final lessons to the 12. Uh, in your Bibles, flip or, or click ahead to John chapter 13. We'll pick it up there in verse 4. Maybe these are familiar verses as well. John 13, verse 4. So Jesus rose from supper. Laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around. It. Let me stop there. Again, maybe this is a, a bit of a familiar story to us. Even if you don't have a church background or or don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, there's a decent chance that you've heard this story before of, of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. If you've got maybe a little more Bible background, you might remember this is taking place at the Last Supper, the last meal Jesus shared with his disciples. It was uh, the Passover festival. It was the most, one of the most significant events on the Jewish calendar, and Jesus was gathered with his disciples. He knew his time was almost up, and this is what he did. But let me, let me add a little more spice, Will, to the story, if I can, a little more details around it. Remember, in the first century, we're looking at the year maybe 30, 35 or so, the roads generally were not paved. Most of them were dirt roads. And people didn't wear shoes like you and I do. They either went barefoot or they wore a sandal, which was kind of a sole with a bit of a cord wrapped around it to, you know, hold it on kind of thing. And the main form of transportation on these dirt roads was either walking barefoot or in your sandals, or by riding a donkey or a camel. The roads, of course, were also used to move large groups of livestock around—think goats and, and pigs, maybe, and cattle. And you can probably get where I'm going at with this. Maybe you can picture all of this in your mind. Perhaps a, a lingering smell is start to arise in your minds. So wherever you walked. You wound up with dirt, manure, animal urine, and who knows what else on your feet. And if it rained, it all turned into a nice, melly, muddy, Walked barefoot. So here's what people would do. When you went out somewhere, if you went to an inn or over to a friend's house for a meal or to to a party or something like that, when you arrive, there would be someone at the door, usually a, a paid servant of the inn or the house you're going to, and they would have a basin of water and a towel. They would wash and dry your feet. You can imagine people's feet were pretty nasty, and so this was considered one of the lowliest jobs you could ever have. Now, if, if by chance there wasn't a paid servant there, if there wasn't someone ready to do the job when you arrived, the first person who arrived got put into action, and they would start to wash feet, at least until someone of an appropriately lower rank, however they organized that, showed up and then handed off that towel and that basin to them. Here we have Jesus with his disciples. Gathered, math, chairs, gathered together for the Passover. No one at the door. There's no one to wash feet. Now it seems like perhaps the disciples arrived before Jesus. We, we can gather that from lots of times. Jesus sends his disciples ahead to, to prepare, and, and he takes maybe a little time for himself and then arrives a little bit later. Looks like no one volunteered. Apparently, it seems that none of them wanted to assume that they were outranked by any of the other disciples who were there. So Jesus walks into the room, sees them all at the table, reclining at the table, This is how you'd sit. There weren't chairs, and you could kind of hide your feet under the table. No, you'd sit on the floor by this low table and maybe kind of lean off to the side, which means your legs go off to one side, which means everybody saw your feet. Here they are climbing at the table with proud hearts and all willing to sit at that table as a group rather than serve one another in a way that they figured was too low, too far below any of them. Then Jesus walked. And I wonder how he walked into the room, saw this happening, probably smelled it happening, maybe a little bit too, and his heart just sank thinking, don't. He came in, down himself, obviously outranking everyone, right? No one else got up to wash even. Let me read again what happened. John 13, verse 4. But Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Down to verse 12. Verse 12 says, After, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and, and sat down and asked, You guys understand what I was doing. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. I rank higher above you. Now Jesus was super humble, so he wouldn't have said, you know, Wash my feet, servants. But but there was, obviously, Jesus was above all of us, right? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. Here's the kicker. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, the lowliest job in the house, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. Now, it seems like maybe the disciples got it after that. You and I, we're not called to selfishness, selflessness. We're not called to, to walk into the room and look around and try and, and I think we do this naturally, I do this naturally, to try and put ourselves in a bit of a, a hierarchy of, okay, they look like they've got it all together, so uh, we'll defer to them, but I'm, I'm more together than them, so I, I don't need to listen to what they have to say. Whatever else, right? I think we, we just do that. We are not called to have our feet washed. We are called wash feet When we go through life striving to live like Jesus, it's such a countercultural thing that Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. We walk through life with a with a towel on our arm and a basin of water at our sides. We don't think about who will be serving us, but who can we serve? We don't go through life demanding our rights, laying down our rights at the foot of the cross for the betterment of the world around us. You don't go through life thinking about what people can do for you, what people can do for me, or what they should do for me or you. You go around thinking about how we can add value, gospel value to their life. Why, Why does this matter? Well, let me just say, the payoff for a servant mentality is enormous. So often when we talk about a topic like this, serving others, selfless living, radical generosity, these sorts of things, even when we hear the word sacrificial, we kind of, ooh, let's get a guest preacher to preach on that one. Or we kind of hunker down, we kind of arch our backs a little bit, the, the, the hairs on the back of our necks stand up a little bit because we think we're going to be deprived of something. I'm going to want my money again. We don't like it because we think that, that giving means loss let's talk about the payoff let's talk about some real effects of the servant posture first is this living a a selfless servant life it's what gets you and keeps you in spiritual shape it's like going to the gym for your spiritual life it's one of the most important and effective spiritual workouts you can do is serving others and I don't think that you would you would come here this morning Or set aside time to join us online this morning if you weren't at least somewhat interested in developing your spiritual life. Well, this is one of the best ways to develop, to serve others. When you you give yourself away for the sake of others, it, it builds your faith. Just like lifting weights makes your muscles stronger, serving does the same for your spiritual life. The more we serve others, the easier it becomes as well. The more natural it becomes. Serving is, is giving your faith a workout so that your faith becomes stronger. Now, James Emery White says this about the flip side. But I'll tell you one thing I can say with almost complete certainty. If you're not giving of yourself, if you're not serving others in some selfless, selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted way, if that's not a part of your life, he says, I can almost guarantee that... Your spiritual life is extremely shallow, very weak, and very undeveloped. Read that or heard that, I thought, about what's, to say, what's he talking about? But then I just kind of sat, as is so beneficial, sat in the, the uneasiness and discomfort of a hard word. I think I agree. I think he's 100% right. Two reasons why I I think a lack of of service demonstrates uh, uh, an an immature or shallow faith. First, because we just read all those passages where Jesus says, I'm serving, this is your job too. You'll never be great, A, a servant's never better than his master. I'm washing feet, ergo, you need to be washing feet too. We are his followers, his apprentices will do the things Jesus did and he served right to the end. Second, and maybe, maybe a little more tangibly, I guess, I can look back at my own life and I can see a, a correlation between the strength or lack thereof of my faith in certain seasons and the pride or selfishness. My, my pride or selfishness goes up, my faith goes down. They are, they are inversely tied together. I can look back at times where, where my faith hasn't, hasn't been, like, gone, but it's been, it's been weak, it's been undeveloped in a season, and I can, can see the temptation to even say something like, I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor. Someone else should set up the chairs, right? Or maybe you can identify more with, I've been coming here for this many years. Someone else can do that job. I have put in my time there's a there's a connection and correlation between our servant hearts faith the second reason that that unselfish living matters is because making a difference matters because making a difference with our lives matters and listen you cannot make a difference in the world much less in other people's lives without serving people at their points of need without getting down to where people are and and helping and caring for and loving and serving them at that point of need. That's where the proverbial rubber hits the road. That's the game. That's the field. That's the racetrack. Whatever other analogy you want, that's it. That's where your life is either going to be made or not. Serving others is what gets you into the only game that matters. It's what gets you involved with what God is doing in the world. And I think all of us, no matter where we are, no matter what we believe, we want to have our one and only lives matter. So again, let me suggest that the only way to make that happen, the only way to to make our, our one and only life on this earth matter is to serve others, investing in selfless service. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen people just sort of step out in faith, even just a little bit, and just see their faith come alive and light up when they serve in, in one way or another. It doesn't matter even what you do. You might think, well, I could never do this, so I'm just not going to do anything. It, whether it's cutting a neighbor's lawn, breaking leaves, shoveling snow, serving with kids or youth, being a part of a serve day, or driving a van to Tijuana to build houses, whatever. As soon as you get a, a glimpse of the impact from some act of service, your life will be changed and you'll want more. You'll realize there's, there's so much more, uh, more goodness, more, more fulfillment that comes from living for others than just living for ourselves. And ultimately, as you continue to step into this life, into this lifestyle, you'll start to see the world from a different perspective, an eternal perspective a perspective that wants to do the best it can to leverage the 60, 70, 80, 90 years you have on this earth to have the most impact over the 60, 70, 80, 90 billion years that will follow your time on earth. Third reason why dying to yourself and becoming alive for others matters because it's the only way that we can find and fulfill our life's purpose. How many in the room? You, you can raise your hands. You don't have to, but have ever asked the question, "Wish I knew God's will for my life." Couple nods, couple hands. Kate, okay, perfect. Thank you. It's not just me. I have. I still wrestle with this from time to time. Man, God, what do you want? Where am I going? What's happening? Where do we lead our kids? What does our family look? All these things. But here's, at the risk of being simplistic, here's how the Bible answers the question for Paul. Writes in chapter two. God has made us what we are. He has created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works that He has prepared for us to do. To get back to the game analogy, the, the sports analogy, the race analogy, whatever it is, you are created to take who God made you to be. Now every one of us is a little bit different. And put yourself in play as a selfless sacrificial, fervent-hearted athlete. Now, I, again, I know that that sounds overly simplistic, Real, real nice, real easy to say. Just do something. That's the answer. And so the, question, the follow-up question is, yeah, great, but where? What does that mean? Where do I put myself into play? I don't know. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Find something. Try something. Give it a shot. And see what happens. And if it doesn't fit, find something else. Try something else. Here's the principle. God can't steer a parked car. It's got to be moving somewhere. So if we're sitting on the sidelines waiting for a a message in the clouds to say, okay, Sean, here's the plan for your life. I mean, maybe you'll get it. I've never got that. But more likely you're just missing out. Because you're just, just invest in selfless service to others. Try something and see how it fits. I asked permission to share this story, and I think I got it, so if I didn't, sorry, Thomas. But I remember just a little over a year ago, I'm in a conversation with Thomas, where he said, you know what, I I don't ever see my Bible study. I would love to help with tech. And if you guys were in the room before we shut down, you remember the, the little couple small desks in the corner there. Now turn around and look at what we've got. There's new toys every week, Thomas. It's amazing. What a fit, right? He found the spot and he poured himself into it. Building, creating, training others to do the same thing. Thank you, Brian and Pamela, for jumping in as well. Selfishness keeps you out of the game. Puts you on the sidelines. That car park doesn't go anywhere, and you. So, how do we get moving on this? How do we get into the game? I'll wrap up with this. Let me say this: There's there's three ways to start serving right now. Three ways to get that car moving. Three ways to get off the bench and into the game. Again, there's any number of analogies you could you could go with here, but to step into the life Jesus wants you to live. The first is this: You can give financially. And I, I recognize this is a, this is a, a hard time for, for many. But, but generosity is one of the most unselfish, sacrificial acts that there is. And giving is truly a spiritual exercise. Because when we give to a church, to a cause, to whatever else, we are acknowledging that God will take care of us. And that, that all that we have is God's anyways. And so let's use it to build his kingdom. It's saying, I don't want this stuff, I don't want the the things around me to consume me, but I want to be part of unleashing God's kingdom on the world. It actually it's it's a it's a massive shift in our attitude when we say, Okay, this is what I've got. I'm gonna take care of myself with this. When we start give that back to God and saying, Okay, God, I don't always know how we're gonna do this. You do. When you give to what God is doing through Trinity here, through this local church as a part of the great global church, you are supporting kids and their families through Compassion Canada in Guatemala and uh, Central America as well. You are supporting Bible translation and leadership development and discipleship through, through Wycliffe and World Impact. You're supporting evangelism and church planting through the, C to, through the C2C Collective You're supporting evangelism and discipleship and mentoring through athletes in action. And sorry, Steve, I got to do this. It was beautiful on Sunday and Monday uh, to be a part of Carson and Emily's wedding and to see Steve as the officiant, have these, like, legit athletes, like, legit, gathered around praying together before. Praying together before the, that's life poured out, a uh, uh, heart for discipleship poured into other guys. That, I mean, we probably all know some some athletes, and we see some athletes in the news that are that are a little bit off the rails. Right, a heart for Jesus, and you could see that in them. So thank you for your commitment. You're also supporting when you give through Trinity some local initiatives and, and supporting people in the Bow Valley, people in need through our benevolent fund. So the first thing you can do, the first way to get in the game is you. The second is you can volunteer to serve on one of our teams or ministries here at Trinity. And there are plenty of opportunities. We've got, as we've talked, the, the tech team. We've got the greeting team. We've got a, a setup up tear-down, a clean-up. We've got kids' music. And as things open up, uh, kids, things, and music—that was two separate points that blurred together. And as things start to open up, we're looking for more and more opportunities to get out and serve our town and our valley. And I can't wait towards working towards some of that. You can serve by by hosting or leading a small group, and, and let me recommend using. Uh, there's a it's a little series, three weeks called Life Together. Uh, it's put out by the alpha people it's on the alpha website it's also on right now media which you can track down on our website and it's something you can host in person you can host virtually over zoom or google meet or however is, is most comfortable and conducive for you and it's a 3 week series that teaches us about well life together getting over some of these things we've already talked about being able to tell our stories as well of what god has done so you can give let me tell you one more way invite someone invite someone to to come and see that's the title of our John series that we'll get back to in a couple of weeks invite someone to to come and explore faith and ask their questions they don't have to have it figured out to show up explore and experience what God has for them in their life you know overwhelmingly why people come to church for the and it's not close they've been invited, someone they know. Someone they know cares about them and someone that they trust. Our mission here at Trinity is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now that does not happen overnight. It doesn't happen in an instant. It is absolutely a journey. It's a journey where we take some steps forward, sometimes maybe a step back, but we're always on that journey and we're going through it together. A one positive that has come out of the last 15 months or so is that we are now live streaming our services. So an invite, inviting someone, can be as simple as sending the link Sunday morning. As soon as our service goes live, if you're watching online, there's, there's almost always, within a couple of minutes, a little invite button. I mean, that's easy. You don't even have to see them. You don't have that awkwardness of, hey, uh, do you want to come, Mike? It's awesome, and whatever. Text, pff, done. Easy. The other brilliant thing is, is online is a, is a really safe way for someone to check. It, it, it overcomes the barriers of, well, what do I wear? What do I say? What do I, all the what ifs, right? You can do this from home. Hopefully, of course, after you've out online, a couple of weeks, check us out in person, come to a live service because there is something essential about the gathering of people together. So, the challenge for this week. If you haven't given before, or if it's been a while, give. It doesn't matter how much. It doesn't matter what that looks like. It's, it's just offering that part of your life back to God. If you haven't volunteered before, come talk to me or Mike or Gary or Ian or, or anyone that looks like they maybe could plug you in somewhere. And we'd love to get you plugged in somewhere. Buy something haven't invited a friend or a neighbor or a family member or a co-worker, invite them. All that to say, if, if we want to put the last 15 months behind, including all that it's done to us as a people, as a culture, we need to pick up a towel, get a basin of water, start washing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the gospels that we have that, that show us how you came and you, you were the son of man, fully God, fully human, showing us how to live and how to rightly relate to creation itself, to God, to others. I pray that you would forgive us There's so many ways, big and small, that we have stumbled into selfishness or chosen selfishness. You have called us to something so much greater. Forgive me for the times when I have have ranked myself where I shouldn't. that, That task, that thing is below me. Those people are below me. Remind us of your repeated that you, Son of Man, your Lord, Savior, Giver, didn't come served, but to. I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, put in our minds right now some first steps for us. Long to be unleashed, your kingdom, unleashing your church in this valley and around.